All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your goodness and grace in our life. We ask that you would speak to us from your word. Make it abundantly clear to us, Lord, who we are and who you are and what you would want us to do in response to that in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're going to jump into John chapter 5 and look at a story of a lame man that can be all of us and how transformation or change is a choice that we make. So our lives are a series of choices that we're going to make, and the choices we make define our future. The point is, this morning, just knowing of Jesus doesn't guarantee transformation, as we'll see this morning, okay? The lame man we see in the Bible was a man who had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus and was given a decision. He, was ju- he wasn't just instantly healed because of his encounter. He made a choice to walk when Jesus said to walk. So listen, Jesus is not a genie, okay? Where we get to ask him for stuff we want, like he's some kind of magical, superstitious wish granter, okay? Like we, let me rub your belly, Jesus. Oh, rub the belly of Jesus. Give me everything I desire, right? Like that's not God, okay? Let's just be really clear. That's not God. Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross for our sin so that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have what? Everlasting eternal life. It's about our salvation. It's about us coming to him and surrendering our lives, choosing him, obeying him. That gift of eternal salvation comes to us in the form of a choice. Will we follow? Will we respond when he calls us? It's like a son or a daughter uh, coming to their father and saying, okay, dad, I'll go. That's refreshing for me as a father. Like I would love to hear, go take a shower. Okay, father, I will go, right? How pleasing would it be for the Lord if we just went to him and we said, okay, dad, I'll listen and follow your leading, right? We don't get to receive, listen, we don't get to receive all the benefits of becoming a child of God and still stay in the vile, putrid mess that he found us in, okay? Man looks at the physical, but God looks at the heart, and it's not enough to simply act like a Christian. If you think acting right is what makes you right, then you've got Christianity all wrong. It's twisted, It's not behavior modification, it's heart transformation, and that only happens when you kneel your life down to him and say, okay, God, okay, Dad, I will follow. It's when you bow down your life and surrender that I have to be right, I have to be in control mentality that we find he makes us new from the inside out. Check this out in Jeremiah 24, 7. It says, "I God speaking, he says, I will give them a heart to know me. That I am the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God. For they will return to me with all their what? Heart. Ezekiel 36, 26, he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit inside of you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's transformation. That's heart change that God wants to do in your life. And as we'll see, excuse me, as we'll see, Jesus gives us a choice. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made right? So it brings us to point number one, which is actually point number two in your bulletin, okay? Point number one is point number two. You guys will get it. Just put a little on the side, little arrow this way, that way. Okay, point number one is actually point number two, and it's transformation is possible through the mercy and grace of Christ, Transformation is possible through the mercy and grace of Christ. Today can be that day for you. So the question is, are you tired of trying to be right and do right? 
When we encounter Jesus and you obey, he transforms you. It's not on us. We can't transform our own hearts. Only Christ can do that. So today is a day of decision. Will you say yes to God? Do you want to be made well? That's the question. We can't transform our own hearts, but he gives us a choice to allow him to do it. Will you allow him to do it? So this morning, like I said earlier, we're going to be in the book of John chapter 5, and we'll be looking at a really jacked up dude, okay? A lame dude, actually, like actually lame, okay? It's not like, oh, you're lame. He's like paralyzed, okay? Like this dude is crippled. He's hurting. He's physically broken, and then he encounters Jesus. Check this out. Let's jump in John chapter 5, starting verse 1. It says, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals, Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. Side note, it means house of mercy, okay? Transformation is possible through the mercy of God. Okay, you guys get it now. Anyways, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the the paralyzed. So here's what we've got. You've got this huge pool full of water, and over it you've got all these arching colonnades covering the people from the heat of the sun, right? If you went to camp, you know how important it is to be covered from the heat of the sun, right? Can I get a hoo if you survive camp? That's a lot of you guys who survive camp. That's good. Just a little nervous about the guy over here who didn't say it. And survive. Okay, anyways. Or maybe some of you guys are in here and you've survived the last three days. Can I get a hoo <laughs> wee Um... So the shade was absolutely necessary because it tells us in verse 3, here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the paralyzed, and the lame. So all kinds of people would come to this place. Just to get an idea of this place, by a show of hands, how many of you guys have ever been in a big group of people sitting out in the heat? Maybe like a baseball game, a football game, a soccer game. 10% of you. The other 90% have never been out. Okay, let's, let's try this again. Okay. By a show of hands, how many of you guys have ever been out at a big game or something out in the sun with a bunch of people? Everybody, look at that. That's amazing. That's crazy. So um, it gets nasty, right? Like when we're out there with a bunch of people, especially like the BO starts kind of wafting. You know what I mean? Like the breeze blows and we're like, please, Lord Jesus, no. Right? And the, the, bre- the BO breeze starts breezing. Yeah, anyways. But who among us this morning has been around a group of people, say, our size in the sun of people who can't take themselves to the restroom? That's nasty, right? <laughs> this is a nasty place, okay? This is a bad, stinky, disgusting, nasty place. Hundreds of people piled on top of each other, most of them unable to physically walk or talk or move, blind, paralyzed, crippled, hurt, and they all want something from God, right? They're all there for something. They've come together to this place and they sit there for days or weeks or months or some maybe even years waiting on the Lord, right? And the reason they were all gathered there was because of what would happen in the pool. Verse 4 kind of helps us understand the why. It says, From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool, after each such disturbance, would be cured of whatever disease he had. It helps us understand why hurting, broken, disabled people were gathered there. They were there to be healed, right? Now you know the why. There's big pool, hundreds of people. Every once in a while, like, 
special Sunday or something would come and then the waters would start to stir. They'd start to bubble, right? And the first person in, boom, healed. It's awesome, right? But thinking about this thing, like I was thinking through this, and it still kind of freaks me out a little bit, you know what I mean? Because like, I don't quite understand what's going on. As soon as the water started to stir, it wasn't like, wait in line, I'm going first. <laughs> and they jump in. Like everybody would jump in the water, right? Like if I get my toe in before you, then I'm healed and you're not. And so get this, you get like all of these people, blind, paralyzed, debilitated people in the pool. I don't know if there's like a lifeguard on duty or something, but they're just like, here we go, it's bubbling. Help me. I was number two, right? That's terrible. I know it's terrible. But there was this multitude. The point is there's a multitude of impotent people trusting in an improbable cure. There was a multitude of impotent people trusting in an improbable cure. What they needed and didn't even know is exactly what we need this morning, which is this. A competent, omnipotent, which means all-powerful God. That's what we need. That's what they needed. So back to the pool of Bethesda, the house of mercy. So now we understand what's going on here, and now we meet our character. We meet our guy, okay? It's our mirror image this morning, verse 5. It says, One who, has, who, who, <laughs> one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. This is our character. This is where we see point number one, transformation is possible through the mercy and grace of Christ come to expression. Scripture doesn't tell us his name, but we meet a man who's been at the pool and been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years this guy's been crippled. A lot of men in that day didn't even live 38 years, but this guy's been crippled for 38 years, okay? We don't know how long he's been sitting there exactly, but based on scripture, we can kind of get the sense that he's been there for a long time, right? And in walks Jesus. Check this out. It's awesome. Verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Can we all just say, oh, that's sad. Seems like a very odd question that Jesus asks him, though, doesn't it? Like, it's very weird. It's like going to the hospital, someone's hooked up to an IV or life support, and we're like, hey, bro, how's it going? You want to get well? No, I'm lacerated spleen and perforated lung. Like, I like hospital food. I'm good. I'm good where we're at. Like, you know, like, no, I'm good. Doesn't it seem just a little curious that Jesus would ask that question. So speculate with me. Why perchance would Jesus come and ask this guy such a weird question? Crippled guy, sitting at the pool, been waiting 38 years for his miracle. Why would Jesus ask him, do you want to get better? I thought about this. I speculated on this. It's like, hmm. Could it be, perhaps, that the lame dude was just there to receive the benefit of being crippled and didn't actually want to be made well? Before you get mad, people are like, what did you just say? Hold on, chill. Give me a second. Don't get mad just yet. This guy has been sitting here for a long time, possibly even 38 years. Do you think that in in that 38-year time span, he had an opportunity to get in the waters? Absolutely. But did he? No. 
You see, the guy's issue went, the guy's issues went deeper than just the physical. It was a heart, maybe even a spiritual issue that Jesus was touching on. Jesus wasn't just looking at the physical. He was looking beyond that. The physical is obvious. It was beyond that. But nonetheless, this guy is a whole lot like us in the church today. I'm going to go there. You ready? We come to receive a benefit, but aren't willing to make the effort. What does a crippled person sitting on the side of the road get from people? Sympathy, free food, money, right? People feeling sorry for them, right? Uh, I was just talking to a lady uh, after first service, and she went down, and there was a team that went down to a big homeless uh, uh, population, and they were asking them, hey, do you guys want to get out? And only like 3% of the population wanted to get out of the lifestyle. Everyone else wanted to stay. So they get these things from people, and it's the victim mentality that feeds the sickness and keeps people in the stink that they find themselves in. But doesn't that same thing happen in the church today? Don't we do that? Think about it. We come to church because we know something amazing happens here. We sit and we sing songs, and something makes us feel really good. You see, the same way that an angel of the Lord would come and stir up the waters at Bethesda, the Spirit of God comes like a blowing wind of fire through his churches, his sanctuary, and people can sense it. They can feel it, and they want that feel good, right? They want to be surrounded by people who will love on them, hug them, care for them, and then when God shows up, they can feel it. Am I right? It's like, it's like worship this morning, right? You could feel the presence of God enter into this place. And that feels like, wow, this is, this is awesome. There's something happening here. You can feel the presence. But when it comes time to get in the waters, to get involved, to talk to someone about our issues, to confess sin, <laughs> well, that was nice. Gotta go. Right? I gotta go. Many times we just attend and don't participate. If you're simply attending church and you aren't submitting your heart to Christ, and if you aren't following after him, then all you're doing when you show up is sitting at a really cool concert. Is that what we're here for? We're like the lame dude just lying there to receive side benefits. But there is absolute total transformation when we surrender our hearts to Christ. It's not side benefit stuff. Just feel good so that when we go home, we like, oh, I'm still jacked on the inside. That's side benefit. That's not real transformation. It's total life renewal when we surrender to Jesus. He makes us whole completely. We go from blind to sight, from darkness to light. Get this. We go from death to what? To life. That is total transformation. It's not just saying, yeah, I go to church. I watch God do stuff in other people's lives. It's awesome. I saw God do something in another guy's life today, right? I enjoy seeing transformation. Everybody does those stories from Rooted, you know? Like, that's cool. That's just not me, though. I just like to go to kind of... It's saying this. Yeah, I believe. Can you believe what he's done in my life? I'm not a church attender. I'm a believer in Jesus. He doesn't care about a number of times attended. He cares about your heart totally surrendered. Do you want to be made well? Are you done just seeing transformation? Are you ready to be healed? Heart, body, mind, soul, totally made whole. So thinking back for just a second about the lame dude, 
It still leaves us with a question, why? Why would Jesus ask this question of the lame man? Is it because perhaps Jesus wasn't looking at the physical, but at the guy's heart? When Jesus says, do you want to get well in the King James Version, it says, do you want to be made whole? There's a difference for us from being made well to being made whole. We can be healed physically, but not made whole spiritually. You know what I'm saying? Jesus wasn't looking at just the guy's physical. He can heal physical. He still does. He's the God of of miracles, right? But Jesus wasn't just looking at this guy's physical. He's always more concerned with what? The eternal with our hearts. It's not about physical ease and our best life now mentality, right? We don't live for the here and now, but for what is to come. So what's the real heart of the issue here? I think it kind of sums it up in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. It says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The same for us sitting here this morning. What are you living for? Where are you at? The same question was asked of the lame dude. It wasn't his physical, it was his heart. It was a spiritual question. Do you want to be made whole? Not just right, but whole. Are you done trying to do it on your own, lame man? Are you ready to let me really transform your life, lame man? Do you want to be made whole, man? There's a truth here that we need to understand. Just because you attend church, just because you come to men's ministry or women's ministry, just because you simply attend, doesn't guarantee your life transformation that Jesus offers. There's a truth in the story of the lame man that you can put yourself in a place where Jesus shows up and still not be changed. You can see the power, feel the power, watch others' transformation and still not be changed. This lame dude at Bethesda is a prime example of that. He sat there seeing the power of God, feeling the power, and yet never changed by it. But then something happens when Jesus asks the question, do you want to be made whole? The guy had a choice to make. Do I follow or do I continue to sit here? Do I answer yes and get up or do I just continue to lay here? No doubt this guy was feeling the spirit of God in Jesus because he is God, right? And no doubt he was racking his brain at like, oh my gosh, like what am I going to do? But then it happens like in an instant, he makes his choice. Verse eight, John chapter five. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And here's where the guy decides to obey. Okay, this is it right now. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. I'm going to pick up my mat. I'm going to walk. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. We'll get to that. That's important in just a second. So this guy encountered Jesus in a very real way. He decided to obey and he was forever transformed. Transformation was a choice. And we have the same opportunity this morning. Do you want to be made whole? This man decided to pick up his mat and walk. He could have just said no. 
continue to sit there, but Jesus saw something in him that was greater than what had happened to him. And because he surrendered his old life to Jesus, he was made well. This, this man couldn't have done it on his own. 38 years he sat there. But Jesus shows up and gave him a choice. Now, we don't know the rest of this guy's story, okay? We know that he was made well physically. God healed him physically. We're not sure about being made whole totally, spiritually, right? The Bible doesn't say. But not knowing the outcome, we do know that he was physically healed. But as for us today, we have the opportunity this morning to be made whole spiritually. Totally. Completely. It's not just about the physical, as I said earlier. It's about making us spiritually right, spiritually whole with God. So point number two, which is actually point number one, two up to one, is your new point is transformation is life-changing, even shocking. Transformation was possible for this lame dude. It was actually life-changing, but it was shocking as well. Jesus met the man in his stink, Remember the place with the thing and the people? In the nastiness, God came down and went into the vile mess and got up close and personal with the disgusting mat. 38 years on a... Disgusting, right? That was the man's life, though. And Jesus got down there and he said, are you ready? Let's go. Get up. Enough's enough. Let's go. And the guy is totally healed. But that wasn't all. We see there was physical transformation and the rest of the guy's story, it was just blessed, right? Can I get a little bit of this action? Mm-hmm. Yeah. After the guy spends 38 years in bondage, okay? Jesus heals him, cool? Good, got it, right? He picks up his mat and he starts walking in the newness of life and then everything else is just rainbows and skittles and mimosas all day long. No. No, no. Immediately after being totally healed, he's confronted by his so-called friends. Verse 10, check this out. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. He's like, I may not be a very smart man, but when God told me to get up and go, I got up and went. That's my best Forrest Gump I got right there. I hope Todd is... Thank you. Ten? Todd is the man. So anyways, they asked him. They asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. So imagine that. Imagine that story playing out. Jesus heals you, and the people who should be most happy for you are like, Hey, what are you doing Put the mat down, right? Like, that's crazy. These religious nuts came up and started getting mad at the guy for carrying his mat because it was the Sabbath. There wasn't this like, oh, oh, hey, man. Hey, bud, we see you got your legs back. That's good, bro. Good job. Like, we're proud of you. Good, good. You know, that wasn't that. It's, hey, what are you doing with your mat? You can't do that. These guys missed the healing and roasted the dude for carrying his mat. Just as a side note, we shouldn't be surprised when Christ transforms us and our close friends and family don't respond the way we think or want them to. They don't always respond how we want them to, do they? I think some of you have experienced that. I've experienced that. 
Transformation is life-changing, but as we saw in point number two, it's also shocking. It shocks people. It shakes people to see jacked-up people being healed, being transformed. People don't know how to respond to it. Most of the times, we don't know how to respond. They're like, wait a second. Isn't that the guy that used to do the thing with the people at the place that was really bad? You know, that not that that guy? Like, what is going on right now? When we encounter Jesus and we decide to follow him, it's, it's like he opens our eyes, blind to sight. And we get this newfound way of thinking and we see things in our life that, we, that don't necessarily fit with who he is. And we're like, man, I know I gotta, I gotta like, gotta change some stuff. Like, Jesus doesn't want me living like that anymore. He told me to pick up my mat and walk. Like, I gotta walk away from this place. Like, I got a new thing. I gotta, and so we start seeing this, but then something happens and we're like, oh man, you know, like, uh, we're, we're confronted by the world. And we're like, I, I know I need to allow God to change this aspect of my life and, and that aspect of my life, but, but people are going to make fun of me. And uh, people who know who I was before Jesus, and so I can't act differently now, they'll just say I'm a fake. I don't want to represent Jesus bad, you know? Like, people know me, and they'll say I'm a hypocrite. We think because we were the lame dude before Jesus changed us that people will freak out. And after receiving Jesus, we find it so easy to lay back down on our mat. You hear me? After receiving Jesus, people start asking questions, mocking us, making fun of us, and the enemy wants us to lay back down on the mat. You know what I'm saying? It's almost like we feel guilty about it. And we want to just blend back into society or blend back into our old life. Oh, well, see, I have my church life. And then I have, like, my business life. And then I have, like, my family life. No, 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 it's all the same. And we want to get back down on our mats. I remember from my own life, I was saved in the 10th grade at Calvary Chapel Redlands. I started going to church because my girlfriend's dad said anyone who dated his daughter had to go to church. And she was, like, smoking hot so I didn't care where it was. I would have gone to the moon if it meant I could be with her, right? She's actually my wife now. That's why I could talk about it, right? I still feel the same way. It's good. But I remember going to church on a Wednesday night, and for the first time ever, what, what the pastor was saying actually made sense to me. It's like, I don't know what an Ephesian is, but I get this guy. And not only, not only did I get it, but I felt like he was talking directly to me directly to me. And so when he gave his appeal at the end of the message, I raised my hand to accept the Lord. But it wasn't receiving the Lord in high school that was a standout. It was what happened after I got saved that was a standout. When I graduated high school, Janae and I were in, with some of my friends at Starbucks in Redlands. It was the only Starbucks at the time. There's only one in all of the Inland Empire back in the day. I won't say when. And one of my buddies, so we're there, we're hanging out. We think we're super cool. We just graduated, you know, no cares. We're drinking our little lattes or something fruity because like we didn't really drink coffee because that was gross. Anyways, and we're sitting there and, and my buddy, he starts, he starts talking trash about Jesus, like, like hardcore cussing, talking about mother Mary, things that I can't even repeat in this audience. Okay. Like he was talking trash. And I remember getting so mad that he was talking trash about Jesus. I started to fight him. We were fighting in the parking lot of star. I'll defend you, Jesus. Here we go. Say it again, bro. Say it again. Right. 
I mean, it was real. We started fighting, and I, in my mind, I'm thinking I'm doing the right thing, defending Jesus. And he's like, I don't need you to defend me, bro. You're an idiot, right? No. But what happened that night became a turning point in our lives. We both got into Janae's little Saturn, and we were leaving Starbucks when it became so apparent to us. She's crying. I'm looking at her. I'm like, why are you crying? Why are you crying? Why are you crying? Stop crying. You know, like we're both crying in this car. And we realized at that point we were just attending church. We weren't sold out for Jesus. I raised my hand and I accepted the Lord in 10th grade and he honored that. But I wasn't living for him. And we recognized at that point, man, we either got to choose to like hang out with these fools and I got to go apologize to my friend for punching him in the mouth for Jesus. (laughs) Or we got to go to church full abandon. And we jumped in to Calvary Redlands full abandon. Every, every ministry we can get involved in. That's where I started teaching. That's where I started getting involved in men's ministry. That's where we got involved with the college group. And it not only, not only that. So when we started jumping into church, all of my friends followed me, right? No, not even close. They totally abandoned us. They actually wanted nothing to do with us, right? It's like, hey, I'm doing this great thing, and I'm jumping in. I'm doing all these ministries. I remember one of the things that my my buddy told me. I remember it, like, clear. He was like, so uh, so you're leaving us for this whole, like, church thing, huh? Like, that's more important than we are? Cool, whatever. I'm like, Jesus, right? I remember thinking that maybe we should just compromise in that moment. There was maybe, it was that, that, that maybe I should lay my mat back down moment in my life. You know what I'm talking about? It's like maybe I should just compromise and kind of lay it back down and then I'll have like my mat for my friends and then I'll get up and I'll walk with Jesus again. But we didn't do that. We kept pressing on and God surrounded us with not just friends but family like Pastor Rod And it's why I'm standing here today. In life, we think it's our past that condemns us. But when we surrender to Jesus, it's our past that speaks to his love and mercy. This lame dude was laying on a mat in the house of mercy and was healed because of Jesus' love and mercy. And these other guys missed it. Jesus heals us so that people can see his power and grace. He doesn't want us to going back to the old way of living. He raises us up out of the miry clay. He, he goes down into our stink and pulls us out of the miry clay so that we can walk in the newness of life that he promised us. Sure, people will question it. People will mock you. Shoot, people will even abandon you. Jesus said it was going to be this way. But when they see the real change, the real transformation, it's your very past that you think condemns you that will draw them in. Some of my friends are still out there living in the world, but I've had others of them contact me when their life was in a tailspin and say, hey, Mike, I know we haven't talked in years. Contact me through Facebook. Can you pray for me? And I'm like, no. (laughs) Of course, I said yes. It was the life change that Jesus did in me that drew them in when their life was upside down. Transformation is possible, Transformation is shocking, but it's also a choice, which brings us to point number three. Transformation is a choice, a matter of want and will. We want it, but will you follow? Faith and obedience. You believe in him, but will you obey him? 
Jesus said to the man, not only take up your mat and walk, but later in verse 14, he said, go and sin no more. When you get saved, it's not the past that condemns you. It's the past that speaks to his love and mercy. It shows you where you've come from and how far God has brought you. So don't be shy about it. Don't be shocked when people don't respond with excitement. And don't be afraid to talk about what Jesus has done. It's not about getting saved and then living like nothing has changed. Jesus says, go and sin no more. What he was saying to that man, he was saying, keep seeking me. He said, remember where you've come from and don't go back to that place. That's what Jesus was telling him. Hey, don't go back to that place that I've pulled you from. It's picking up your mat and walking in the newness of life. People will see, people will question, and people will be drawn to Jesus because of it. But only if you choose to follow. The point is, when God makes us new, it's not just for our benefit, it's for the benefit of those around us as well. What transformation does is it shows others what can be done in their lives through Jesus. Will everyone celebrate with you? No. Will everyone choose to follow because you did? No. But some will. Not everyone will believe like you do, but you can. And you never know how God uses your obedience. Because God works in mysterious ways, and when we are obedient to him, he uses that obedience as a catalyst for someone else's transformation. He works in us and through us for his glory. Isn't that awesome? So after these hard-nosed religious leaders condemn the lame dude, they come back and they condemn Jesus for doing his good works. Jesus comes back and says this to them, and I'll use this to close. Jump down to verse 24, John chapter 5. Jesus speaking to us this morning. He says, he said this to the group, to those that followed, to those that were in the court. He said, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. He's talking about those who are spiritually dead, walking around and doing their own thing. We who hear and believe are those that cross over from death to life. That is ultimate transformation. The Bible doesn't say sin makes us bad. It says sin makes us Dead. Before Jesus, we're dead. But Jesus' shed blood on the cross and his glorious resurrection makes us alive. And that's to all who would believe. So if you're sitting here this morning and you feel like the lame dude, like, I've been here too long. My sin is too great. I can't do it. I want you to hear these words of Jesus one more time. This is Jesus speaking to you this morning. He says, very truly, I tell you. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. This morning very well could be a turning point in your life. Whether you're starting at faith or you're a seasoned saint, this message is for all of us. Transformation through Jesus should give us boldness to proclaim the good news to everyone. Don't just be like the rest attending to see God move in others to receive side benefit 
of seeing him move. He wants to continually transform all of us more and more into his image. We need to recognize that because of our sin, we are all on the side of needing grace and mercy. All of us. We are just like the lame dude at Bethesda. We've all failed in our faulty. We've all made terrible decisions and poor choices which make us broken and lame. But listen, that doesn't make us bad Christians. And that doesn't even mean we aren't Christians. It means we're human ones. Sin makes us dead spiritually, separates us from God, but it doesn't make us bad Christians. It means we're human ones and we still need Jesus every day to bridge the gap for us. Can I get an amen? Not just one time, not just one day, every day. Jesus is saying to us, don't just sit here in this place and receive the cursory benefit, the superficial benefit of being at church. When you surrender to me, the one true living God, I will totally transform you. Will you hear his words and choose to believe in him? Do you want to be made whole? I want to be made whole. I desperately want God to continually transform my heart. I stand here before you this morning as the lame dude. Truly. So many times I lay on my mat and I want others to feel bad for me or to do things for me because I'm lame. I'm not some put together, polished up pastor. I don't want you to think that the speaker standing before you this morning is somehow above you or better than you. I am the lame dude. Inside, I'm broken. Inside, I still have anxiety and fears. And I want to lay back down on my mat. I'm insecure about so many things in my life. I battle depression. And I, have to, I want to lay back down on my mat. I sin in my anger. I sin in my lust. And I sin by putting my needs before God on the daily. I stand here before you this morning, not as someone who's telling you to go somewhere I'm not willing to go. I'm standing here before you this morning saying, I need to go. I want to be made whole. The beauty that is Jesus is that when we come to him and surrender, he continually, daily transforms us. I can testify to the the goodness because I've tasted it. I've seen it. This is my life. He is so good to me when I don't deserve it. Yet while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. This isn't just a one-time event, though. It's a process. Salvation is both an event and a process. You see, I was saved in 10th grade, but I continually need saving from Jesus every day because I am a sinner. That is who I am. If it wasn't the case, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come to die on the cross. It's when we surrender to him daily, when we lay down to him daily, when we ask for forgiveness and confess our sin daily... He says, pick up your mat and walk, son. Pick up your mat. I still find myself at times laying my mat back down, trying to go back to the old way I was living. And Jesus reminds me, son, I already pulled you out of that. My son, get rid of that thing and come follow me again. 
I'm here and I'm waiting for you. It's a daily process of choosing to follow and obey him. That's Christianity. It's choosing him and following him. The choice is so clear for us this morning. He doesn't say, try to follow me. Try to obey me. Try to surrender. He says, follow me. He says, he who hears my words and obeys them will be blessed. You see, we don't serve a wimpy God, do we? We serve a mighty and strong God. The Lion of Judah. When he roars, the enemy is silenced. The enemy steps back. The enemy trembles at the call of his name. He is Jehovah Rapha. The Lord who heals. He is Jehovah Nisi, the Lord who is over us, who is my banner. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, my peace. Jehovah Jireh, the God who is my provider. He is the God who every time we come to him forgives us and wipes our slate clean. He is the one true holy God of Israel who will never let us go, will never forsake us, who never leaves us. He is our healer. He is our portion. He is our forgiver. He is our savior. And he is almighty God. And he is the God who transforms us for his glory. The question for you this morning is, do you want to be made whole? It's about encountering him in this place and then saying, yes, God. It's about encountering him here like we most clearly do at church and saying, yes, God, I surrender. Yes, God, I give you my heart again today. I want to encourage you this morning, don't just come to the waters to see God move. Come to him today and let him move in you. Total transformation is waiting for you. Do you want to be made whole? I do. Let's pray and worship as the band comes back up. Lord Jesus, we surrender to you this morning. Your will, your way be done in our lives. Father God, I pray that you would be softening the hearts and minds of the people here to receive you. That the chains would be broken. Those things that have been locked and shackled around your children here. God, your word says you hold the keys to death, to Hades. You can unlock those chains. You are our chain breaker. You are our healer, our forgiver, our almighty God. Would you continue to move in this place as we worship you? In Jesus' name, amen.